0: Anyway, welcome to Ellen. My name is Eric. I am one of the pastors here, and uh, we have Bibles in the, in the back and underneath the seats, and so we would encourage you to follow along. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take one of those uh, as a gift. Also, we have notes. Uh, I think we have notes, uh, some notes on the communion tables here. You can follow along with the sermon, and um, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app called YouVersion. And you can click on more, click on events, and it'll bring up all the sermon notes and everything that's going on around here, and you can follow along that way. Uh, As I had mentioned, my name is Eric, and I'm one of the pastors. I want to welcome you, and uh, why don't you stand up for the reading of God's word. Okay, this is John chapter 15, uh, verse 8. It says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that um, even now, Lord, in my fatigue, that you would um, bring clarity to, to this message as well. And, Lord, as we come to your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. We thank you that you have done everything so that we could bear fruit for you, and you've paid the price for us. So this morning, Lord, I pray that uh, you would speak to us, that you would show, show us areas in our lives, Lord, that we need to turn over to you and... Uh, bring you glory and honor and we ask it in jesus name amen have a seat so uh we are continuing our what in the world part two series what in the world part one was where we had talked about uh basically different questions in the bible or different things in the bible that make us scratch our heads what in the world does that mean what in the world part two is where we actually took your questions and we're attempting to answer those so this is week 17 of our What in the World? Part 2 series. And the question today is, why did Jesus curse the fig tree in Mark chapter 11 in verse 12? It says that figs were not in season. There must be more to it than appears. Well, you know what? Whoever asked that question, you're right. There is more to it. As usual, there usually is more to it than originally appears. And on the surface of it, this looks pretty bad uh, for Jesus. And and many people have trouble with Jesus' reaction to this poor fig tree. And putting a curse on a fig tree because it didn't have fruit and because it was out of season, no less, it seems capricious or or mean or at the very least unnecessary. But we know that context is the key to understanding the scriptures, especially in this case, uh, because Jesus uses this event as a living example of other events that are about to take place. And so what's the context of this story? Well, it starts out during the Passover week, and the event of the fig tree is sandwiched between Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and his cleansing of the Jewish temple. And so this living parable, it symbolizes and it demonstrates Jesus' power and his authority, as well as God's judgment on the fruitless religion taking place in Israel's temple. And so in Mark chapter 11 and verses 1 through 10, Jesus, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, the triumphal entry as it's called. And so the king, he rides on an animal that's fit for a child rather than a warhorse, because Jesus is a different kind of king. He's not what they were expecting, but he's a king nonetheless. And G- Jesus, he's no longer hiding his identity as, as he did earlier, but now he's accepting the people's praise as they lay down these palm branches before him and they cry out, Hosanna in the highest and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to the expected Messiah. And we see that he's the prophesied one of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But unlike other kings, Jesus brings together both majesty and he brings meekness. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, he's referred to as the lion the Lion of Judah, and also as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jonathan Edwards, he describes the character traits of Jesus that we would consider mutually exclusive. He says, infinite majesty, yet complete humility, perfect justice, yet boundless grace, absolute sovereignty, yet utter submission, all sufficiency in himself, and yet entire trust and dependence on God. Jesus demonstrates the beauty and the wholeness of God as the mighty king of the mighty king of kings. He rides into Jerusalem on this little donkey. So we pick it up in verse 11 in Mark chapter 11 and it says, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And so it's at the end of the day and Jesus goes into the temple and he looks around and he didn't like what he saw. Now, he had been to the temple many times before in his life. But here in verse 11, we find out that he's checking it out to plan his action for the next day. And what did he see when he entered that temple area? He would have entered what was called the Court of the Gentiles, which was meant to be a place for all people, all nations beyond Israel. And this was the only part of the temple that non-Jews were allowed. It was the biggest section of the temple, and you had to go through it to get to the rest of the temple. And all of the business operations took place here. The Jewish historian Josephus, he wrote that up to 255,000 lambs were bought, sold, and sacrificed during the Passover week in one year. There were thousands of people bringing and buying thousands of animals. It was loud and it was tumultuous with currency being exchanged, buying and selling and, and trading, and it was, it was chaotic. Now, think about the financial trading floors of Wall Street, if you will, and then add livestock and add blood and add waste to that. This was the place that Gentiles and foreigners were supposed to come to God and and find God through quiet reflection and prayer, and it wasn't happening. And so Jesus, he observes this action for a little while, probably thinking about what he's going to be doing the next day. But then he returns to Bethany, with his disciples for the night. So Jesus, he comes not as the king of Israel to attack Rome as everybody was expecting, but he comes as the king of righteousness to attack fruitless religion that was taking place in the name of God. And so in verse 12 of chapter 11 in Mark, it says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit on it. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now, the first thing we see here is we see Jesus' humanity. He was simply hungry. It's very practical. And he didn't know that the tree was fruitless. And so seeing leaves on the tree, he was expecting to find fruit to satisfy his hunger Now, fig trees were everywhere in Palestine. They could pop up almost anywhere, and they could grow big enough to provide a good amount of shade, up to 20 feet tall by 20 feet wide. We read about Jesus calling uh, Nathaniel to be his disciple as he was sitting under a fig tree in John chapter 1. And fig trees were also a sign of God's original blessing of a promised land with abundance, He describes it in Deuteronomy 8.8 as a land of wheat and barley, of figs and vines and pomegranates, a land of oil and honey. And these Middle Eastern fig trees, they bore two kinds of fruit. First, they had the first fruit, which were these edible nodules, which would come first, and then the leaves would develop after that. And then the fully mature fruit would come after that, somewhere around late summer, early fall. Now, this was not the season for the mature fruit, but this show of leaves on a healthy tree would naturally be a guarantee of first fruit. So Jesus would have expected to find first fruit there. And travelers would pick off the early fruit, and they would eat them as they were going on their journey. And so when it says here that, seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, this denotes that the tree wasn't like the rest of the trees at the time. Otherwise, Jesus just could have went on down the road and picked fruit off a different fig tree to satisfy his hunger. But this one was unlike the others, which at that season would, would not have had fully developed leaves. So its leaves advertised something. It advertised that it was bearing fruit, but that advertisement was false. A tree in this condition was probably diseased or maybe even dying inside. And so Jesus, he cursed the tree, not because it wasn't bearing fruit in season or out, but because it made this great show of life that promised fruit but was bearing none. And this cursing of the fig tree, it's it's one of only two so-called destructive miracles that you'll find in the Gospels. And some actually have trouble with this story for being out of character with Jesus' blessing and healing and his showing of grace. But this one act, along with casting the demons out of swine, are two miracles that could be considered destructive. But the fact that both of these miracles were not directed toward men shows us more clearly Jesus' grace and his compassion for people. And so Jesus here, he's going to use this as a living parable, a living example, an analogy or an illustration of the coming destruction of the temple. It's a preview and it's a prediction of judgment. And the whole passage has basically two parts, the fig tree part and the temple part. And they are both previews of the same thing. The, the fig tree is a prediction of the destruction of the temple by a live analogy And then as we'll see, Jesus cleansing the temple, it's a preview of the destruction of the temple by his action. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, it records Jesus saying to the fig tree, may you never bear fruit again. He basically pronounced a curse that expedited the tree's existing decay. The tree had the appearance of fruit, but it had none, not the reality. It was a false profession. And this was a graphic illustration of the pretense of the temple activity religious leaves but no real fruit it was hypocrisy to the max and so jesus he expands on this when he speaks to the leaders of israel in matthew chapter 23 and he says you hypocrites you hypocrites woe to you scribes and pharisees over and over again he addresses the hypocrisy of the religious leaders so the temple now was therefore cursed which means the destruction is pronounced on it And that ends up coming in the sweeping assault of the Romans 40 years after this event. Now, this living parable of the fig tree, it needs to be tied in with another parable that Jesus taught about a fig tree, and that's in Luke chapter 13 in verses 6 through 9. It says, Then he told this parable, A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it but did not find any. And so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it, and I'll I'll fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down. This is another parable of Israel, a fruitless fig tree. And the Lord says, I'm going to cut it down. And a plea is made, give it a little bit more time. And God patiently allows more time, but there's no change. There's no repentance here. There's no turning to him. And so this living parable of Mark chapter 11, it picks up where the parable of Luke actually ends. The temple is a fruitless pretense for worship. God graciously gave them more time, 40 years actually before the final judgment and destruction came to the temple. And so Jesus here, he's cursing those who make a show of bearing much fruit but are really spiritually barren. It's directed towards the religious hypocrites of the Jewish people the religious leaders that were operating the temple, not to, the, not to all the Jews necessarily. For example, not to the children in the temple who sang Jesus' praises. They were singing Hosanna to the Son of David. The fig tree became a perfect metaphor for Israel and beyond that for all those claiming to be God's people but don't bear fruit for him. So it brings us to the second visit to the temple. In Mark chapter 11, verse 15, it says, And the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Now, Matthew, he includes a few more details of this event in Matthew chapter 21. In verse 14, he says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them but when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. You, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. So we see Jesus here. He curses the fig tree on his way to the temple the second time. And then when he gets there, he declares judgment on the temple, and he clears it out of all the fruitless activity that was taking place there. So now we come to verse 20 here in Mark chapter 11, and it says, in the morning, as they went along, this is his third trip now to the temple, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered have faith in God Jesus answered. truly I tell you if anyone says to this mountain go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes what they say will happen it will be done for them therefore I tell you whatever you ask for in prayer believe that you have received it and it will be yours so what we see here in Mark's gospel is that the cursing of the fig tree took place on one day and its withering took place and was noticed or was noticed on the next day Now, in Matthew, Matthew's account of this story, it condenses the timeline just to show the effect of the miracle. But this fig tree, overnight, it withers away. Its disease is expedited at the command of Jesus. And here in the context of the story, we see Jesus showing his authority to bring judgment by cleansing the temple and by receiving the praises of a king and by performing miracles of healing and making nature obey his commands. And Jesus, like other rabbis, he used everyday teaching moments and events. And so Jesus, he takes this opportunity with his dissatisfaction with that tree that advertised fruit and it had this great show of leaves, but really it was barren and it was fruitless. And here at the end, Jesus, he also uses the miracle of the withered tree to teach about the power of a growing faith in God, which is characterized by not doubting. And it's expressed by persistent and expectant prayer prayer. Now, we're not going to get into that particular idea today, but I would just say that Aaron posted something about this principle on the latest blog on the website about what it means to have faith like a mustard seed. It's the same principle there. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that God cares about our fruitfulness? Absolutely, he does. We're all like trees in his orchard or vines in his vineyard, and we were all created to bear good fruit. And God hungers for the fruitfulness of his people. In Micah chapter 7 and verse 1, he says, Woe is me, for I become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There's no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. In in Isaiah chapter 5, God describes the people of Israel as his beloved vineyard that were planted on a fertile hill, And he does everything he can to cultivate it. He clears the land and he prepares the soil. And he plants the very best vines. And he watches it carefully so that it would yield these excellent grapes, fruit that he would be able to enjoy. But it only yielded bad fruit. And so God says to them, you be the judge. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I haven't already done? And the answer is obviously nothing. God had done everything possible for them to be fruitful. And so God says to them in verse five, and now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured and I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down and I will make it a waste and it shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting and he looked for justice and behold bloodshed for righteousness and behold an outcry. For us, especially today, God says, I have done everything that I possibly could. There's nothing more that I could do. I have given them my only son to reconcile this lost and fruitless creation back to myself. And by my own spirit, I will give these dead and diseased trees life and health. And I will be the source of their fruitfulness as they are connected to my eternal and abundant life. And we see this in John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. In verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, fruit is always, it has always been the sign of salvation in the gospel. It's the product of those filled and empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, And it's the promise of Jesus to those who abide in him, who have a real relationship with him. Religion or works without relationship is just an empty promise. It's nothing but leaves. It's just an outward sign that fruit should be present when there really isn't any. There's no real heart change. It's not creation fulfilling its purpose. Fruit trees not producing fruit. People not glorifying God in real love and in true worship. What might that look like for us today? Just a few examples. There are those who go to church and think that the mere going to the place and and sitting down for a certain time and coming out again is an acceptable act to God. The formality is mistaken for real spiritual worship. But it's only leaves. It's not real fruit. There's no real heart change. Or what about those who have regrets? without real repentance. They hear a heart-searching sermon and they feel grieved over their sins, but they never have the strength of mind to give them up. They say they're sorry, but yet they go on with no change. They really feel some regret that they could have been so foolish, but the next day, when faced with temptation, they fall prey to the very same sin. It's been said that it's easy to bring a person to the river of regret, but you can't make them drink the waters of repentance. These are only leaves They're not real fruit. And what about those that are just very busy in and around the church? You see, Jesus came to a temple that was religiously very busy, just like a lot of churches can be with tasks and meetings and committees and notes and people coming and going, lots of transactions taking place. But there was no spiritual fruit. Nobody was actually praying. And there are many things that we can do that appear to be real fruit that it can appear to be signs of real belief, but, and just like those in the temple who were busy with church without real heart change or real compassionate involvement with others. So Jesus, he clears the temple of this fruitless activity, and he took this private object lesson of the disciples of the fig tree and he turned it into a necessary public spectacle. And it's important to know that Jesus wants more than our busyness. He wants the kind of character transformation that comes from realizing that we've been redeemed and that we've been filled with the spirit of him who is both the lion and the lamb. This is the fruit for which he hungers in our life, that we are transformed into his image of perfect love and all that that implies. So if you're anxious or impatient, is it clear to everyone that you're overcoming that? If you're angry or unforgiving, have you clearly begun to conquer that anger? Are you learning to absorb the cost of forgiveness? Or if you're a fearful person or a self-hating person or or an arrogant person, is it clear to those around you and who know you and who know your character that you're being changed, that something is becoming radically different in your life? Or are you just a a church-going person or one who's very busy with religious activities? How do I know that there are those here described that I just described? Because I have been there myself. I'm one of them. I've experienced all of these forms of fruitlessness at one time or another. So the question becomes then, how do we become fruitful trees in God's vineyard? We have to remain connected to Jesus through all of our failures, through all of our trials, as well as our successes. He is the vine. He's divine, which apart from his life, there can be no good fruit, none at all. And this is what the Apostle Paul refers to when he talks about walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit and living in the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. What does that actually mean? It means seeking God first above all things with all of your heart. And it means getting to know him more intimately, and who he is and what he said, knowing his word, knowing the scriptures. And it means seeking what God desires for us by being with him in prayer and for asking for his will to be done in our lives. And ultimately, ultimately, it means to know him better and to learn to hear his voice and to live by faith, by obeying his commands. That is always going to be the expression of our love for God and for the other people that we live with around us. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 the apostle paul says for the fruit the fruit of the spirit is love which is then characterized by joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control you see if we begin seeking god like this then his spirit will continually lead us to a place of repentance because we are going to fail a lot we are going to fail a lot And repentance is a necessary part of our ongoing transformation and our ongoing fruitfulness. And so God, he will convict us of the sins that we've committed, as well as the sins that we have omitted. For example, stealing money is committing a sin, obviously, right? But omitting generosity from our lives is also a sin which God will reveal to us. Or lashing out at somebody in unrighteous anger is committing a sin but so is withholding reconciliation or omitting forgiveness in our relationships. And God will reveal those things to us and he will lead us to a place of repentance so that we may turn to him in faith in obedience and we may bear fruit for his kingdom. And through it all, through it all, God patiently cultivates us as his trees and as his vines. And so he prepares the soil of our hearts and he prunes away the deadness And he also provides the fertilizer that is needed by us. Back in the parable in Luke chapter 13, where the man's fig tree didn't bear fruit for three years in a row, he wants to cut it down. And the vineyard manager says, let's give it one more year. I will cultivate that soil and I'll fertilize that soil. Well, what do you think he would use to to fertilize the soil with? What would he use? Dung, right? Manure. Manure. How do you think that might apply to us today? Look at your life right now. Where's the manure in your life? Is it in your marriage? You say, yeah, my marriage is a pile right now. I I got got a lot of manure right there. Is it your finances? I mean, you go to the ATM and you hit the button and manure comes out (laughs) or nothing comes out. Or how about your walk with God? And you say, yeah, there's a lot more manure there than there are figs. Some of you have a lot of manure in your life. Sometimes it's suffering or hardship. It's pain and loss and failure or trauma. It's trial. But you know what? It just stinks. And you might say, God, how come you don't love me? Or how come you don't care about me? Or how come you're not helping me in this situation? You know, this part of my life or, or maybe even your whole life, it, it's just manure. And God would say to you, I love you so much that I gave you that manure i gave you that fertilizer and i'm digging around the roots and i'm putting that manure on your roots because i have a whole lot of figs for you in your future i have a whole lot of figs for you but as we know it takes some time to go from manure to fruit doesn't it what do you think who do you think the best counselors are for rape victims those have been rape usually or those who have the best insight into helping somebody who's dying of cancer. It's usually somebody who's battled cancer. Or those people who have the greatest insights on marriage. Are those whose marriage has endured some really tough water. Those who have tremendous insights and wisdom and gifts to give. Generally speaking, it started with them with a lot of manure. Something painful and stinky and hard and difficult. Maybe even embarrassing. But by the grace of God, you don't waste your manure. You use it, and eventually, there's a harvest. There's fruitfulness. And so whatever stinks right now in in your life the most could be something that God wants to turn into an enormous harvest. And some of you say, you have no idea how much manure I have. Well, then you have no idea how many figs are going to come. God apparently has a big harvest for you in fruitfulness and in righteousness and ministry and testimony and service. He does. He's not angry with you and looking at you today today, saying, I'm going to cut you down. He's here to say, I have great hope for this little tree who maybe what stinks today, there's going to be joy tomorrow and fruitfulness if you will use it. You see, as God's trees in his vineyard, we were created to produce fruit for God, to love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength and to love those around us with a selfless love that only comes by the spirit of Jesus living in us. And Jesus was hungry for fruit when he cursed the fig tree. He still hungers for fruit in our lives today. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Cursing the fig tree here was a living example that Jesus used to pronounce judgment on the fruitless religion of Israel. But it's also a warning to all of us about the dangers of religious activity and busyness without any real relationship or without any real heart change. Nothing but leaves no real fruit jesus said in matthew chapter 7 verse 16 you will recognize them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles so every tree bears good fruit Uh, so every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit As Aaron said a few weeks ago, all of the worship that was intended to take place in the temple has now found its fulfillment in Jesus. Atonement for sins, a place now to come to God, a priest to intercede for us before God. All of it is now in Jesus. And guys, without Jesus, we are all just diseased trees with sin that can't bear any good fruit at all, only leaves only bad fruit. But Jesus came to rescue and he came to heal us and he, he promises to be with us and to never leave us and to transform us into trees that bear an abundance of good fruit for his glory and to fill us with an overflowing joy that only comes from knowing him. So I'm going to invite the band uh, to come back up. And as they do, as we, as we go to communion, we remember the price that was paid for us. We remember Jesus' blood that was shed for us. We remember his body that was broken for us. And as we take that cracker and break it, we remember his sacrifice as we dip it in the wine or the grape juice and remember his blood. And we remember that he did that so that we could bear the fruit of his spirit in our lives. And we're also going to worship God through songs, um, we think about all that God has done to actually change us, to transform us into good trees. We're going to worship God through our giving, and so we have offering boxes on the sidewalls and in the back. And we encourage you to uh, give just a little of what God has given to us. It's a response to our worship, and we're going to worship God through uh, prayer as well and and fellowship. And so there will be people in the back who are there ready to pray for you. Maybe God is speaking to you, and He's revealing areas in your life that just have not been fruitful, and it's time to allow God to produce that fruit in your life. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Jesus, we thank you that you gave your life so that we could experience the joy of being connected to you and and bearing fruit for your kingdom. Lord, that we would experience true life. Lord, I pray that um, as you reveal those areas in our lives that, Lord, have been unfruitful, that we would be able to turn those over to you and allow you, Lord, to produce the fruit that you created us to produce. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that um, you had to pay that price for us so that we could stand in your presence so that we could bring you glory and bring you honor. We give you all these things and we give you all these things in Jesus' name, amen.